Please turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 21. I'm sorry, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 3, and verse 21. Luke, chapter 3, and verse 21. I'll read... Verses 21 through verse 23. Now it came about when all the people were baptized that Jesus also was baptized and while he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came out of heaven. Thou art my beloved son, in thee I am well pleased. And when he began his, pub, his ministry, Jesus himself was about 30 years of age, being supposedly the son of Joseph, the son of Eli. This morning we began to answer the question, how did the Holy Spirit work in the human nature of Jesus to make him a man who could be our high priest? and a man with great love and sympathy and compassion for us as sinners. We saw in the first place from Luke chapter 1 in verse 35 that the Holy Spirit conceived the child Jesus in the womb of Mary and united the eternal Son of God with a human nature and then preserved his purity and brought him into the world as the holy offspring. And then we began to see in the second place that at the baptism of Jesus, God the Father anointed him with the power of the Holy Spirit to equip him and to enable him to be the great Savior of the world. We speak especially tonight of Jesus as our great High Priest and the Holy Spirit's work in him to qualify him for the task of being a sympathizing high priest. His baptism may be seen as his entrance into his office as the great high priest. There are several points of correspondence between Jesus at his baptism and the priests of the Old Covenant. Luke tells us here in verse 23 that Jesus was about 30 years old when he was baptized. And according to Numbers chapter 4, the priests of the Old Covenant, they entered their office at 30 years of age as well. The high priest of the Old Covenant prepared for the Day of Atonement by the washing with water and by anointing. And Jesus here prepares for his future atonement by the washing of the waters of baptism and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. As a man, if he was to be a merciful high priest, filled with love, compassion, and sympathy needful for us as sinners, then he needed a greater measure of the Holy Spirit, and that's what was given to him at his baptism. And we see the graces of the Holy Spirit given to him in the symbol 
of the Holy Spirit at his baptism, which was the dove. All four gospel writers record that the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus out of heaven as a dove. Luke tells us here in verse 22 that the, the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. The Spirit descended upon him in a visual way, an actual bodily form that could be seen as he descended and then he remained upon Jesus. And the symbols that God uses in the scriptures are not without meaning. A dove with its white feathers is a symbol of purity and love. A dove is gentle and lowly, peaceable, quiet, and innocent. Ravens and eagles can be fierce and inflict harm, but a dove is always gentle and harmless. Doves never fight with one another. They are always pleasant and friendly to each other. And so the Holy Spirit comes as a dove on these, this occasion to show that these are the graces that he will place into the heart of Jesus. The Holy Spirit will fill him with love, with compassion, kindness, and sympathy for sinful men. Doves are often used as symbols of love at weddings because doves have lifelong mates. Doves are known for their sad and mournful sounds, and it is thought that they produce their mournful sounds out of a sympathy over the distress of their friends. Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 11, Isaiah says, All of us moan sadly like doves. One of the unique things of a dove is that it has no gallbladder. Gall means bitterness. Sometimes people need to have their gallbladders removed because they are a source of bitterness. Acts chapter 8 and verse 23, Peter said to Simon the magician, I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bondage of iniquity. Jeremiah said in Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 1, Remember my affliction and roaming, the wormwood and the gall, or sometimes translated the bitterness. But a dove has no gallbladder, and so it has no bitterness in its nature. And so the Holy Spirit coming upon Jesus in the form of a dove was a fit symbol of these graces he would be one with no bitterness in him, but only one with sympathy for us in our weakness and distress. Some have understood the dove to be an allusion to the time after the flood of Noah. When Noah sent out the dove every seven days until it returned with an olive branch, an olive leaf in its beak, the dove was a sign that God's wrath against human sin had subsided and the waters of the flood had been abated on the earth and it was safe to leave the ark. But here in a much greater way, the dove comes upon Jesus 
as a sign that God's wrath against human sin will be fully satisfied in his cross and a new creation will begin with him. Noah was, in a sense, the savior of Adam's race which had fallen into sin. But now Jesus is the true savior who has come to bring life and hope to the whole human race. The dove descending and remaining upon Jesus is a symbol of love and hope and peace that can be found in him for all who believe. We'll turn in our Bibles to the book of Galatians chapter 5. The Holy Spirit has now anointed Jesus and he is full of the Holy Spirit after his baptism, anointed by God the Father, and he began his public ministry. And here in Galatians chapter 5, we see in verses 22 and 23 that Paul speaks of the fruit of the Spirit in the hearts of men. In verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things, there is no law. Paul here gives us a sample of the fruit of the Spirit. Nine different graces of the Holy Spirit, which he produces in the lives of men. They are the fruit singular of the Spirit, but there are nine graces that are mentioned here by the blessing and the work of the Holy Spirit. These are not outward acts that men perform. These are not conformity to some external code of religious conduct. These are all inward and spiritual graces which begin and are found in the hearts of men. They can be seen outwardly and they should be seen outwardly in the life and the conduct, but they must begin inwardly. They must begin in the souls of men by the power of the Holy Spirit. These are not graces which men can produce from themselves. These are not things that men can do in their own efforts and by their own observances. These are graces which can be produced only by the Holy Spirit. That's why they are called the fruit of the Spirit. They come only by his power and by his influence in the souls of men. Only God can make fruit to grow and bring forth the crop. And only the Holy Spirit can produce these graces in the heart of any man or woman. They are the fruit of the Spirit. That is who produces them. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit alone. We speak here of a supernatural work of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit must come down from heaven to work these graces in the souls of man. This was true of Adam before his fall into sin when he was innocent in the Garden of Eden. The Holy Spirit still had to produce these things in him. They would not come from him by nature. 
And it is true of us as well, especially now in our fallen state, but it is also true of Jesus as a true man. The Holy Spirit had to produce these graces within him. And this is what happened to him at his baptism. The Holy Spirit descended and remained upon him and brought forth the fruit of the Spirit to its fullest possible measure. He had been filled with the Spirit, and he had the fruit of the Spirit from birth and through his early life because he was the holy offspring from the womb by the Holy Spirit. But now upon his entrance into his great work as Savior and great high priest, he needed these graces without measure. And this is what took place at his baptism and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. All the graces and the fruit of the Spirit were now brought to their perfection in the human soul of Jesus. We remind ourselves we are speaking of his humanity. His divine nature had no need to be anointed by the Spirit and have the fruit of the Spirit. His human nature did. And now the Holy Spirit brought upon him in fullest measure, and he was filled with all the graces of the Spirit. Thomas Goodwin writes on the baptism of Jesus, Though he had the Spirit before, yet now he was anointed with him for the execution of his office with a larger measure and more eminently than before. A larger measure and more eminently, abundantly than before, the graces of the Holy Spirit these graces here mentioned were in Jesus now in all their beauty, excellence, and perfection. Jesus became the man of the Spirit, the embodiment of the fullness of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The first of them that is mentioned here, and rightly so, is love, because love is the preeminent grace Above all others, love is affection and the willingness to give ourselves for the service and the good of others. Love is the ability to sacrifice our own desires for the welfare and the benefit of others. The deeds of the flesh, which Paul mentions in the previous verses, all those deeds of the flesh, they are self-centered and they are self-serving. But love is the very opposite of them. Love is centered on others and seeks not its own, but love is focused on the service of others. And how much love there had to be in the heart of the man Jesus as he entered his great work of salvation. Love is the very nature of God. God is love. It was love in God the Father Love in God the Son, love in God the Holy Spirit from eternity. But now by the fruit of the Holy Spirit, there was love in the man, Jesus, as he began.
his public ministry. We can say only a few words about the other fruit of the Spirit that are mentioned here as they are all found in the life of our Lord Jesus. There is joy that is mentioned. Jesus had joy. Luke tells us that he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. and He had joy in doing the will of his heavenly Father. He said, I delight to do thy will. Oh my God, there was joy in the heart of Christ. Though he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief as well. The fruit of the Spirit, the next fruit here is peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And he knew the peace of God within his own soul. And he came to establish peace between God and man by the reconciliation of the cross. The next fruit is patience which is sometimes called forbearance or long-suffering. It is the ability to suffer long with another under provocation, to not be brought to anger by the sins and the failures of others, the refusal to retaliate, the refusal to retaliate when one is wronged by others. Then Paul mentions kindness, which is the gracious attitude of the heart that causes one to seek blessings upon others. Then he speaks of goodness, which is the willingness to go far beyond what could ever be required or expected for the benefit of another. Love and kindness and goodness are a kind of combination often found together, Jesus ties them together when he says, love your enemies and do good and lend and you will be sons of the Most High for he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Love and kindness and goodness tied together in the life of Jesus. Faithfulness is mentioned next. Faithfulness is loyalty. Faithful, one is faithful who can be completely relied upon. One is faithful who is utterly dependable. There is faithfulness in Jesus, in every word that he spoke to us. Every word is true. Every word is dependable. His promises cannot fail. They are trustworthy. There is faithfulness in him. And then in the beginning of verse 23, gentleness which is the absence of any harshness, the absence of any severity of spirit. Gentleness is the combination of humility, patience, and peaceableness. Gentleness is the opposite of the deeds of the flesh mentioned back at the end of verse 20, where Paul speaks of outbursts of anger and disputes and dissensions and factions. Gentleness is the opposite the ability to avoid all of these things. Jesus himself had gentleness and declared it to be so when he said, I am gentle and humble in heart. The last fruit of the Spirit here is self-control, which is the mastery of one's desires, the discipline of one's life so that it may be conformed to the will of God. Self-control, 
all of these fruit of the Spirit now found in Jesus as he is anointed by the Holy Spirit with power, with grace, without measure, John says. He had the Spirit without measure. He is anointed by the Holy Spirit as he enters his public work. And so the fruit of the Spirit is now in him, in all perfection and excellence and without measure. Paul says at the end of verse 23, he says, against such things there is no law, which means against having the fruit of the Spirit, there is no limit. There is no limit as to what one may possess in all of these graces. One may have as much as he possibly can, but he will have never have too much of them. And all of these graces now are in their fullness in the life of Jesus in the Gospels. And that is what we see, what kindness, what love, and what gentleness we see in the ministry of Jesus as he deals with sinners throughout the Gospel. Luke chapter 7, he came to the city of Nain, and a man was being carried out in a funeral, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And Jesus saw her, Luke tells us, and he felt compassion for her. And he came to her and he said, do not weep. And he touched the coffin and the bearers came to a halt. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak and Jesus gave him back to his mother. What gentleness and patience Jesus had as he dealt with the woman at the well and led her to the way of salvation. What gentleness he had with the immoral woman in the house of the Pharisee when she came in and wept at his feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And he said to her, woman, your sins have been forgiven your faith has saved you. Go in peace. We see such compassion in Jesus, such kindness and the goodness of God manifested in the mighty works of Jesus in all of his healing. The leper came to him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. We see the patience of Jesus with his disciples when they were often so slow to understand and sometimes proud, stubborn, and hard of heart. They wanted to call down fire from heaven upon the village of the Samaritans and Jesus said to them, you do not know what kind of spirit you are of for the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus was entering Jerusalem for the last time for his crucifixion. And he said to his disciples, they will deliver the Son of Man to the Gentiles. They will mock him, scourge him, and crucify him. And immediately after speaking of his coming imminent crucifixion, 
James and John come to him and ask him if they might sit one on the right hand and one on the left in his glory. What provocation this was to Jesus as a man. He has just spoken of his suffering and his coming death. And all his disciples can think of is what glory they may have and what he may give to them. But Jesus responded with kindness and great patience and said to them, you do not know what you are asking for. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? Speaking of his cross, they said, we are able. Jesus said, my cup you shall drink. But to sit on my right hand and on my left, this is not mine to give, but it is for those to whom, for whom it has been prepared by my Father. And then Jesus took his disciples aside and began to teach them some lessons of humility. And he said to them, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Even at the Last Supper, after they have been with him for so long, for the three years daily with Jesus, they still did not understand as they should have who he was. And Jesus gently reproved them and said, Have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me? Jesus was often provoked, disappointed over their stubbornness and dullness of heart, their unbelief in him and his word. And we can add to this the continual opposition and the contradictions of the Pharisees and their attacks against him, trapping him, seeking to trap him with their questions, at times seeking to put him to death, he came to his own people and his own did not receive him. How do we find Jesus to be such a friend of sinners throughout his earthly ministry? What man could possibly have such patience and such kindness and such gentleness with sinners, with his disciples, with his enemies, so willing to receive them, to have mercy and forgiveness upon all who came to him? How could any man have such graces in him? The answer is found in the Holy Spirit came upon him and anointed him with power. And the Holy Spirit worked all the fruit of the Spirit in him to the fullest extent and without measure. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, they were all found preeminently in our Lord Jesus Christ. Back in verse 16, Paul says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, 
Walk by the Spirit, walk under the influence and the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what Jesus did from the time of his baptism forward, all of his life, especially the baptism forward. He was walking in the Spirit with all the love of God for sinners in his human soul. Before we leave the passage, we make one quick application to us, which is how much we need the Holy Spirit to be working in us as believers. All that we can produce from ourselves are the deeds of the flesh listed in verses 19 through 21. Only the Holy Spirit from Jesus can produce in us the fruit of the Spirit found in verses 22 and 23. It is true. It is true that we may put on an outward show of these graces that are listed. We may put on a facade of what seems to be these graces. And men do put them on outwardly in common grace in this world. But they are not the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit must be in one to produce the holy, the fruit of the Spirit, as Paul speaks of here. There are counterfeit graces, and they will be shown to be such when they are tested. What we need, what we need, brethren, is the genuine fruit of the Spirit. That's what we need. The genuine, real fruit of the Spirit in us, which can only come by His gracious work, how much we are in need to cry to Jesus, who has the Spirit without measure, that He would give the Holy Spirit to us and conform us to His image and fill us with this fruit of the Spirit. We'll turn back to Galatians chapter 3. I'm sorry, Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3. In verses 21 and 22, Luke records the baptism of Jesus. And what Luke is doing in his gospel is that he is showing us the work of the Holy Spirit in the life, the human life of Jesus. It began back in chapter 1, verse 35, when the Holy Spirit came upon Mary to bring the Holy Child into the world. It continued in Luke chapter 2, where Luke summarizes the early life of Jesus, that he kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. And then here in his baptism, Luke tells us of this anointing of the Holy Spirit upon Jesus as he begins his mission as the Savior. And then Luke continues to tell us of the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus if we look down in chapter 4 and verse 1, and Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan. So Luke here, he tells us what immediately took place following the baptism of Jesus as he returned from the Jordan. 
He was full of the Holy Spirit. And he was now led about, guided by the Spirit in the wilderness. The work of the anointing of the Holy Spirit at his baptism now continues down in verse 14 of this chapter where Luke tells us Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit. So this is how he now continues his great work as Savior. Everything is done in the power of the Holy Spirit, in the power of the Holy Spirit for his personal strength, for wisdom and knowledge and endurance. And in the power of the Holy Spirit, as the Spirit produces all the fruit of the Spirit in him without measure. Peter said in Acts chapter 10 and verse 38, he said, You know of Jesus of Nazareth and how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And the power of the Holy Spirit now continues as we read in verses 16 through 19, where Luke tells us verse 16, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up and as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him and he opened the book and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are downtrodden, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Verses 18 and 19 are quoted from the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 61, which was a prophecy of the Messiah. And in that prophecy, the Messiah himself spoke of his coming anointing by the Spirit to preach the gospel. And Jesus here, he takes those words and he speaks them himself because he is that Messiah of whom that passage spoke the spirit of the Lord he says is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor it was the custom of the synagogue for a man to stand and read from the scripture on this occasion Jesus was that man who was to stand and read and Nazareth was where he had grown up and they knew who he was and the people of the synagogue were anxious to hear him read from the scripture. And on this occasion, Jesus stood to read and Luke tells us how this passage was read in verse 17. He says, and the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him and Jesus opened the book and found where this prophecy was written. The entire book of Isaiah's prophecy, perhaps a scroll, was handed to Jesus. And when it was handed to him, it was not opened. The book was closed. But Jesus was the one who opened the book. 
Jesus opened the book and he deliberately by his own choice found the place where this prophecy was written, not by chance, but by his own deliberate choice, he opened the book to this particular prophecy because he was the one of whom it spoke. And this is what had just happened to him in his baptism. He was the one anointed by the Lord and the spirit of the Lord was now upon him to preach the gospel to the poor. We see in the phrases that follow in verses 18 that the end of each phrase speaks of the misery and the sad consequences which sin brings upon men. He mentions the poor or the afflicted, and then he mentions the captives, and then the blind and the downtrodden. These are all the sad consequences of human sin. But the beginning of each phrase, also Jesus announces that he is the one who has come to deliver and to rescue men from these terrible consequences. The first thing he says is that he has come to preach the gospel to the poor, to the afflicted, to those who are afflicted in conscience, to those who are oppressed by the burden of their guilt. He has come as the anointed one to preach the good news, the gospel of salvation to them. In the next phrase there in verse 18, he speaks of the captives, the prisoners of sin, those who are in chains, those who are held in Satan's kingdom as captives. Christ has come to break their chains. He has come as the Messiah to proclaim release to them and to free them from Satan's kingdom. The next phrase in verse 18 he speaks of the blind they are those who walk in darkness and do not know where they are going but Christ has come to open the eyes of the blind and to give recovery of sight to them that they might see and know the way of grace and salvation the last phrase in verse 18 speaks of the downtrodden those who are beaten down, those who are depressed by the sorrows of their sin and what it has done to them, Jesus has come to set them free and to proclaim to all of them the favorable year of the Lord, the time of salvation has finally come, the Messiah has come to them. All of these things mentioned here of what Jesus will do for sinful men. They all show his heart of love, his heart of compassion and kindness and his mercy for poor sinners in their distress and in the misery of their sin. The poor, the captives, the blind and the downtrodden those whom the world has contempt for and the Pharisees ignore. They now have a friend in Jesus who has come to turn their sorrow into joy and their mourning into gladness.
many prophecies Jesus could have chosen from the book of Isaiah. But he singled out this one prophecy which spoke of him being anointed with the Holy Spirit as if to say, this is what has just happened to me. And this is why the Holy Spirit has come upon me to produce those graces of love and compassion and kindness in my human soul that I may fulfill all that Isaiah prophesied of me to preach the gospel to the poor, to proclaim the release to the captives, sight to the blind, and to set free those who are downtrodden. And then we read in the beginning of verse 20, he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down as if to say, this is the whole work of the Holy Spirit, which the Holy Spirit has equipped me to do, and nothing more needs to be said. In verse 21, he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. One more passage we'll turn to tonight. Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. And verse 14. How much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Love is the greatest of all graces. And the love of the Holy Spirit has been in the heart of Jesus throughout all of his ministry, full of all the fruit of the spirit and Love comes to its highest expression in the voluntary suffering of Jesus to the death of the cross. Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. And John said, we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. How much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God. The Holy Spirit who had conceived Jesus in the womb of Mary and brought him into the world as the holy offspring, the Holy Spirit who anointed him without measure at his baptism and produced every grace in him for his public life. The Holy Spirit continued with him now to the death of the cross. And it was through the Holy Spirit and by the grace of the Holy Spirit that he offered himself up to God as a sacrifice without any blemish to be found in him at all. 
without any blemish, it says, without any stain of sin, he offered himself in perfect love and holiness in the power of the Holy Spirit, still abiding in him as a man, even as he hung upon the cross. So he offered himself in perfect love for us. Peter said, while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats. How easily we are embittered. Whenever we experience even the inconveniences of the consequences of others' sins, how quickly our resentment rises when we must experience just a little of the consequences of the sins of someone else. But Jesus experienced not just the inconvenience and the little consequences of the sins of others. Jesus experienced the wrath of God fully poured out upon him in the death of the cross for the sins of others. And the least resentment and the smallest movement of bitterness in his soul would have stained his perfect sacrifice. It had to be done with perfect love in his heart for his people as he gave himself to the death of the cross. Perfect love for us and for the Father, for it to be acceptable and pleasing in God's sight. Paul writes to the Ephesians and says, Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us. Meaning Christ, not, meaning not Christ loved you up to the cross, and then at the cross, he simply suffered and he endured the cross, yet without love for you. But Paul means he loved you through the cross, through all the suffering and through all the agony of the cross, he continued to love us. He loved his own who were in the world. He loved them to the end. He loved them through the cross. Christ loved the church. And in that love, he gave himself up for her. So Christ Jesus, the perfect high priest for us. And he is the high priest that we need. We need. For us who have so many weaknesses, so many sins, one who will love us with perfect patience, kindness, and sympathy for us. And that's the great high priest that we have. Let us give thanks and praise to God, and let us look to Jesus as we eat and drink the cup tonight. Let's pray. Our Father, gracious God in heaven, thank you for such great mercy to us that you have given us a perfect Savior 
who is able to do all things for us, to bring us out of blindness, darkness, and captivity, and bring us into your marvelous light and the glory of your kingdom. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for all that you have done in your giving of yourself for our sins. And we pray that you would bless now as we eat the bread and drink the cup and give us faith to look to you as our Savior. And we thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen.